This is Shane Gibson's social media podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today I've got a great guest on our show, Cameron Harold, author of Double Double and is known as the Back Pocket COO. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey Shane, thanks for having me. So let's let's um, let's just cover a little bit about uh, what who, what Cameron's about, and I'll talk a little bit about how I met him and a little bit about his book before you jump into the interview and the dialogue. So Cameron uh, is again with BackPocketCOO.com. He's coach and mentor to many major organizations, successful entrepreneurs globally. Uh, very popular. Uh, he's one of the highest rated speakers in MIT's uh, and also the Entrepreneur Organization's Entrepreneurial Master's Program. And in addition to that, of course, he was one of the original uh, sort of co-founding members of 1-800-GUT-JUNK, which is a very successful uh, leading uh, franchise globally. So I'm going to open up to Cameron here and let him talk a little bit about, number one, uh, I guess his experience, what he's about, and then what prompted you to write Double Double? Thanks. Um, It's interesting. I guess over the years, I started to get known for building a few different companies. You mentioned one, which was 1-800-GOT-JUNK. The other was uh, Boyd Auto Body, and then I was also involved in the early days with College Pro Painters uh, and opened up the West Coast with them. So those three brands, um, because they kind of had a lot of scope and lots of locations and, and were winning lots of awards, I started getting notice for my work with those organizations and started doing a lot of speaking events globally. I've actually done uh, paid speaking events now in 18 countries to groups of entrepreneurs around the world. And when I was doing all these speaking events, the entrepreneurs would always come up to me afterwards and say, wow, I'd love to get a copy of your book to have you know all of my employees read what I just heard about. And, um, and they wanted more detail on everything that I would have talked about in, this, in the presentations as well. So it was based on that demand that I wrote the book. I really didn't have have any desire to write one or go through the year and a half, um, pro, you know, process of pulling one together and putting it out the door properly. Uh, but it, it came out, um, did all the work and it came out in April. And now in addition to the book and the DVDs that I have that companies learn from, I also coach and mentor um, about a dozen different CEOs around the world as well. So I, I got to say, I mean, you and I uh, met somewhat on a, on a personal level or an acquaintance level. Uh, around town. I think our first interaction actually was via Twitter. And then we decided to uh, sit down together and and have a breakfast. Uh, We even ended up uh, going skiing together uh, one day uh, in Whistler, BC on a Friday. And and I have to say that, you know, after talking with you uh, and meeting you, one thing I would say to our listeners is that Cameron actually walks his talk, which is one of the reasons why I got you on the show and I want you to share your wisdom, uh, is everything from lifestyle uh, to living your values uh, to building great organizations. That's what you do. Now, what's interesting for me is when you first sent me your copy of the book, the the review copy, uh, the advanced reader's copy, um, I was still a solopreneur, so to speak, and quite proud of it, to be honest, for over a decade. <laughs> I decided I no longer wanted to have staff, and I really did everything virtual, uh, and I am just was a one-guy show as a speaker and author. Uh, and then coming into uh, January, I, I launched my uh, a new business, a social media agency with my partner, and begin to come up against you know some challenges and some growth issues, and picked up your book again. And I'll tell you, it meant so much more to me uh, now that I'm in that really that high growth startup stage of my business. For sure. Go ahead. Sorry. No. So I was going to say for sure. And it's interesting. The book really is meant. Go ahead, Shane. No, I'm here. 
Yeah, I was going to say the book really is meant more for um, entrepreneurs that actually have employees. It's not meant as much for the solopreneur, although the sections on focus and personal productivity um, can be great for the solopreneur. But it really is meant for uh, people who are building companies with employees and with teams of people. And I think it's, it's you know, one of the big ones for me as I read it, um, when I really looked through the book, um, is in regards to um, just even onboarding employees and the importance of organizational values um, and some of the key attributes we want to look for. So we're talking about you've worked with companies that have successfully went from, you know, zero to, to millions to multi-millions. And, you know, one of the, the key engines of that was hiring the right people. Uh, and maybe you just share some quick tips with our, our, our listeners on, you know, what are some of the key things as entrepreneurs, as, as you're in that initial growth phase especially, what kind of people do you want to look for? You really, in, in the early days, you're looking for both cultural fit and skill set. And you're also looking for something a little bit more special, which is people who can probably multitask more than the traditional employee would and people who can grow very rapidly with the organization. Um, you, you're not looking for people who are corporate and who you know are used to working in big corporate environments. When you're a small growth company that, that, that has only a few employees and is really looking to kind of grow, you need people who really start every conversation with the answer is yes, what's the question? And they kind of run from there. What, what are the, you know, from that perspective, what are the, what are the key, where do you find these employees? Where do you find the right people with the right cultural fit? Uh, you know, one of the challenges, and again, this might be the wrong attitude, but, you know, I'll talk, I'll, I'll have many clients, especially when I was working in sales performance, who literally have empty, empty cubicles and empty executive suites in the corner suites waiting for the right people. And their challenge was finding them. What are some of your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I'm starting to find right now that a lot of the, the A employees are never out looking for jobs. You know, A players aren't ever out job seeking. They're already gainfully employed or they're doing something on their own. You really have to identify who those people are and start building relationships with them and get ready to poach them when you're ready. It, at best, it's the B players that are looking on things like Craigslist or industry job boards. So if you're trying to attract A players, you've got to start building a reputation and a brand for yourself no matter how big or small your business is. And then use that as a way to attract, almost like flies to honey, you really want to attract these A players to you um, and then get ready to pounce when the timing is right. So it's, it's about building that brand and that culture to attract great employees later. So it's, it's a mentor of mine a number of years ago, Jim Jans, has said to me, you don't attract what you want, you attract what you are. <laughs> and, and I guess as you're saying is that you have to build that culture if you really want to attract those A players. You have to be an A quality organization. Absolutely. And it really comes down to really identifying then what your core purpose is, your core values, um, what your BHAG is, and what your painted picture is. And that's really what I cover in detail in my first book, is this whole area of a painted picture and really describing in vivid detail what your business looks and feels like three years out so that these A players can look at what, what the future looks like. And if it feels like the right thing, they get excited and want to join you. And that's really how you start attracting these people into your organization is by kind of planning out in the future and showing them what the future looks like. I, I got to tell, I, I took that painted picture and we did, we weren't able to do the whole thing with our team uh, just recently, but we painted that picture uh, in a brainstorming session uh, with our internal team uh, and to see the, the, the buoyancy in the team immediately afterwards, the, the buy-in on the vision uh, and just additional commitment to what we we're doing. It was almost instantaneous and, and continued. Uh, and it's such a simple thing, but I think too often um, people are given tasks instead of a vision. I think that was a huge, a really good insight. I, 
crisis of meaning. I, I got to tell you, Cameron, I, I've stood there on the edge of that. I'm just going to read a little bit of your book here quickly on page 167, stage three. You hit a stage called crisis of meaning. This is when you're really scared. You're in despair. It's like standing on the edge of a cliff ready to jump. Your thoughts might be something like this. Today, the roller coaster is going off the bottom of the track for the very first time. I'm going to die. You feel helpless. You feel terrified and frozen. I'll tell you what. There's been more than once I've felt that in my business, in my career. And in fact, I've had a few moments like that recently. Uh, Advice for entrepreneurs at that point. Yeah, there's also a slightly different type of crisis of meaning, which is is less of the panic and fear and more of just the overwhelm that makes you want to crawl into bed and, and put a pillow over your head and lie there in the fetal position for a couple of hours in the middle of a Tuesday. Yeah, would everybody just leave me alone is kind of the right. thoughts that come to mind. <laughs> right. so, so really that's the polar opposite of the mania and excitement and enthusiasm that we all need as entrepreneurs to, to attract people and attract clients and attract bankers and to start our company. So the reality is um, entrepreneurs ride these manic highs and these stressful depressing downs. And in fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but bipolar disorder or manic depression is nicknamed by the medical community as the CEO disease. And the reality is that to be a great entrepreneur, to be a great CEO, you need to have these these crazy high periods. and, And also you need to accept the fact that those get balanced off with some of the stressful depressing down periods. So what you need to learn from that as entrepreneurs is if you're having those down stressful moments, it's okay. Don't try to change it. Just accept it um, and, and realize that, again, you'll come back to these crazy fun periods that nobody ever worries about those. So we shouldn't worry about the down periods. And it's interesting. I talked to I have a good friend of mine, Tim Ferriss, who wrote the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And we were talking about how do we handle negative comments from the media or from uh, people who maybe don't like things that we say or, you know, in our blog or on our book. And he laughed and he said, you know what, Cameron, I learned that I don't listen to what the crazy negative people say. And I also don't listen to what the crazy positive people say. (laughs) He said, he said, if I don't want to listen to the complaints, then I can't listen to the praise as well. And that's really good advice that don't worry about the stressful, depressing downs. It will change, but don't get too excited about the manic, crazy highs either, because those will change as well. So another great insight, and, and I know I read it in your book, uh, but I also, you and I have had a couple offside conversations about this, and this is, this is regaining your confidence. I mean, this is something that, you know, I'm actually that crazy, manic, positive entrepreneur most of the time, and I, I think I have to be careful about listening to myself. <laughs> and then I skin my knees and I hit the ground hard. And how do you regain that confidence after you've, the wind's been knocked out of your sails? Um, I guess lots of ways. One of them is, is one of the things that I've done is I sit down and actually do a mind map or a lifeline of all the different things that I'm really good at in business and try to rebuild my confidence. Um, so I look at all the things that I've done or that I've achieved um, to, to try to rebuild that. So it can be a really good exercise to even do that on a weekly basis that, you know, imagine just taking five minutes at the end of every week or even at the end of every day and just saying, what are the top five things I did? You know, what are the top five things I got accomplished today in my business? And celebrate those, those little victories. Because the reality as entrepreneurs is we're always setting goals for ourselves. We're always moving the bar ahead. But that's kind of like driving a car and saying that you'll only be happy when you get to the horizon. Yeah. You need to also look in the mirror and see how far you've come and celebrate how far you've driven. So how much is that? You know, as a cultural perspective, talk about creating a world-class culture. Um, I've seen so many organizations um, 
kind of level off and flat note in their growth. And, and sometimes I, I look at it, it is, they stop celebrating that culture, that culture of being able to, you know what, take a risk, make a mistake, get back up. Um, if your organization, if that culture has exited, how do you revive that? How do you revive that entrepreneurial culture? We're, we're making mistakes, calculated errors, um, and celebrating them and learning from them. How do you, how do you, re, how do you bring that back in an organization? But it's, it's kind of like the core values. You, they need to be something that you're always talking about, always revisiting, almost like Jim Collins mentioned that you need to keep talking about these things until people in your company are almost making fun of you. And it's only at the moment that they're mocking you do you realize that the lessons are starting to stick. So if you want that, that entrepreneurial startup, bootstrapping, you know, um, hell yeah environment, then you have to constantly live it and breathe it and remind people of it. And, um, and you have to watch for yourself missing on those moments. So, you know, watch for areas to improve and then also um, praise people when you see those, those cultural values being hit. Another thing to really look at is that every time you bring somebody into the organization, make sure that that's part of their core makeup. You know, they asked Herb Kelleher, who founded Southwest Airlines, they said, how do you, how do you get all of your employees to smile? You know, how do you, how do you train them to smile like that? And he laughed and he said, we don't train people to smile. We hire smiley people. So if they don't walk into the interview with lots of smiles on their face, they don't even get an interview. You don't train grumpy people or middle of the road people to smile. You hire smiley people. So it's the same thing as that entrepreneurial culture. You don't train people to have it. You hire people who wake up in the morning with it every day. Fantastic. So tips. Any, you know, from looking at this, we talk in your book, you talk a fair bit about marketing. Um, what are a couple of the big areas where, where most organizations you work with are missing in marketing? What are, what are the key kind of fundamentals that you walked in that often are missing? In, in marketing specific? Absolutely. I think it really comes down to focus. Um, I think for, you know, for the last 100 years, all the companies are out there looking for that magic bullet and that cool ad or that great copy or that you know, cool place to put their, you know, the thing where their customers are, but they forget to focus. They forget to focus on either a core demographic or, or a, a core marketplace, or, uh, and they tend to just keep spraying stuff out there and, and you know, giving up after one or two or three tries. And the reality is it comes back to really deciding who is your customer, what's the core message, and sticking with it and sticking with it and sticking with it. Um, I think psychologically it affects your team as well. If there's this inconsistent marketing effort that's all over the place, I, I, I've seen just you know teams, they lack confidence even when they're interacting with the marketplace. Your, your staff don't even – there's no consistency in the brand they can depend upon as far as uh, even a personal image perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll give you an example. Um, this is about 10, 10 to 12 years old, but I think it's a really good one. It just came to me as, as I was talking about that whole focus. Um, and unfortunately, the brand has kind of changed today, but I'm talking about AOL. Yes. And if you think about AOL 10 to 12 years ago, 10 to 14 years ago, every few months you got another disk in your mail of AOL and you were supposed to put it in your computer and go online and it was extraordinarily effective. And and I don't know if they did any other advertising. They just kept hitting you with these disks and hitting you with these disks and hitting you with these disks and, and they kind of built that marketplace. Um, you know, I, I don't know what they're doing about it today, but but at the time that focus of, of a tactic that worked, knowing where their target audience was and just keep hammering them over and over and over again, that built an extraordinarily powerful business back then. 
sales versus leadership. And I know I've been just firing questions at you here, but I, I there's so much in the book here that I, I got out of it. And there were some key lessons around, you know, I've, you always, we've always heard the saying, nothing happens until someone sells something. Um, but I've seen lots of organizations with revenues go off the rails um, in many ways. And you talk a lot about leadership. And how important is it to, to from a leadership culture perspective, you know, let me rephrase this. How important is leadership compared to, let's say, sales or marketing? It's hugely important. And I, I agree, by the way, that, that sales are important. I've always said that revenue solves everything. Um, but there's an old saying of the, the, the manager is the guy who's out in the forest and has everybody clear-cutting the forest really quickly and efficiently. The leader is the person who climbs up to the tallest tree and looks around and says, oh, crap, we're in the wrong forest. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of what it's like about revenues is that if you're chasing revenues that, that aren't the right revenues or that are high on the pain in the ass factor, the PETA factor of customer service or you know, are the wrong demographic or aren't as recurring as they could be or um, you know, are, are lower gross margin revenues or what, what have it, you know, what, whatever it may be, that, that can really hurt a company. Um, really, leadership needs to sit down and look at the company strategically and say, where are we going and how are we going to back up into that? How are we going to work it backwards? And every three years, kind of looking out on the horizon and seeing where you're going to go. It does not make any sense whatsoever to just try to become bigger or just try to add sales. You always have to be, as the Cheshire Cat says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Leadership needs to know where they're going and show everyone so that you can figure out how to get there. And sales is one component of that. Fantastic. So how do we learn more about your book? Uh, where to find it, where to buy it, where to download it? Uh, what website do we go to? The, uh, the main website is doubledoublethebook.com. Doubledoublethebook.com. Yeah, and it has links to all of the major online and offline bookstores. It has links to the ebook and the audiobook that just came out. Um, and it also has bulk offers as well if people are looking to get copies for all their employees or to give away to other entrepreneurs. Fantastic. And if someone's looking to hire you to speak at their next conference, where should they go? Um, same thing. That, that same Double Double website has information on my speaking events as well. Fantastic. Look, Cameron, thank you very much. Again, this is Cameron Harold, author of Double Double, How to Double Your Revenue and Profit in Three Years or Less. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Uh, you've definitely put together what I call a, a very condensed tomb of wisdom that every entrepreneur should have. Awesome. Thanks, Shane. Appreciate the time. Hey, thank you, Cameron. Okay. See you later. This is Shane Gibson's podcast with ClosingBigger.net.